0: Hey, thanks for joining us for this series that we're calling Founding Fathers. And today, we're gonna be looking at a specific character from scripture who you can learn from and can help you grow in your faith. God did great things through these men and women and God can do great things through you. We hope that you enjoy this teaching and that you'll take a moment before you log off to fill out your connection card. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us through this video in these moments and we hope that it encourages you in your faith. Stay through to the end. We'll have a special message for you when we wrap things up. Enjoy this teaching. Good morning everybody. Uh, I just wanted to keep that worship set going. I'm sitting there figuring out how can we just keep singing like there's got to be a way. Uh, it was just great to worship God together this morning. Amen? Amen. Man, God is good and when you start singing God, songs about God's greatness, it just can't help but lift up your soul and I'm, I'm glad that you've joined us this morning. If this is your first time with us, whether online or in person, welcome. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life and it's just a privilege Uh, To gather together on Sundays, and maybe if you've been participating in the 21 days of prayer, uh, you've already been on today's prayer guide, which is a prayer for the gathering church, and it talks to talks to God about this moment that we're privileged to be a part of each and every time we gather, and uh, it's it's something God has asked us to do as the body of Christ. It's something we're privileged to be able to do, and it's designed. To strengthen our faith and keep our steps pointed in the right direction each and every week. And so we gather together with joy in our hearts, sing praises to the Lord, open and study His Word, and pray to Him. And that's our privilege to do this morning. So thank you for joining in on that. Thank you for being a part of the choir that praises God today, both here and around the world as we gather on this Lord's Day. We're continuing through a series called Founding Fathers. And so if you have your your Acts journals, uh, you can head to our chapter. We're gonna bounce back into chapter 11 and then forward to 12 and 13 as we're introduced to our new character. And let me just kind of remind you a little bit about why we're studying these founding fathers in this way. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse seven, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their life, and imitate their faith. These founding fathers give us an example to follow about what we should dedicate our lives to, how we can live out our faith, how we can be a part of building the church, which is what Acts is all about. And the Acts of the Apostles is about those who spoke the word of God, our leaders who have brought us here to this point. We've looked at a handful of these leaders that are highlighted in and throughout the book of Acts, and if you've been tracking along, you might be a little concerned for your own livelihood and safety, because we have uh, Stephen the martyr, we had Peter the prisoner that we talked about last week, and James who got, got martyred uh, as well, and these were close to God, and this is heavy stuff, and you're like, wait a minute, I don't know if I want to be a part of uh, these founding fathers, because... I I think only bad things happen to founding fathers. If I could make just a quick request to the sound booth, could my voice be a little bit louder? I'm I'm tending to start to yell. I think it's because I'm trying to overshoot it. I yelled a lot last week, and I apologize for that. Yeah, thank you. Very good. Uh, But today, we're going to look and remind ourselves of the truth, that although God does promise in this world you will have trouble, and we've looked at that over the last several weeks, He also promises that for followers of Jesus, he gives eternal life and life more abundant. And it is, even though there's difficult times, a joy to be a follower of God. It is a privilege. It is an awesome, worthwhile pursuit. It gives your life purpose and meaning and depth. You are fulfilling the thing that you were designed for. And God, when, when he calls you to follow him, he's not just calling you to put your nose down and get to the grindstone and get through this horrible thing called life so that someday you can be together with him in eternity where it's all going to be better. No, no, no. He says, yeah, you're still going to get through life. But there will be a joy in the service. There will be a hope in the hardship. There will be a gladness and a peace and a comfort that you get to pursue as you live this life. And then the author of the great song writes, "It's a wonderful world, right? You're like, yeah, there's good stuff that happens all the time. As a matter of fact, in Philippians 4.8, he says to us, brothers, sisters, I want you to think on the things that are good, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy, that are of good report. Think on these things. Often you get asked the question, how was your day? And and most people, depending on your personality, may have a knee-jerk reaction to that, but most people think about what went wrong in that moment. How was your day? Oh, terrible. Well, why? Because I had five minutes of hard things that happened today. Did you know that the day is made up of 24 hours, right? <laughs> There's lots of other things, but we can focus on five bad minutes and have it ruin our day. And the same thing can be true for our lives. People, how's the life going? Oh, terrible. A couple years ago, I had this thing. You're like, what about between now and then, right? Life is, as Winston Churchill said, 10% what happens to you, 90% how you react to it. And today, the Founding Father that we're going to look at reminds us of this truth, that we as followers of Christ, of all people, have the opportunity to lift one another up. We have the opportunity to point out the good. We have the opportunity to remind people about the abundant life that God has given given us, how every breath that is in our lungs comes from God. And we get to breathe it. We get to experience it. We get to be a part of it. I know that every single one of the teachers in the series, when they were teaching on their character, Philip or Stephen or Paul or whoever, said, this is my favorite character in the Bible. I don't say this lightly. And this is not the first time I've said this. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, who's my favorite character in the Bible, I would have said, a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas is by far and away my favorite character in the Bible. He is just somebody I connect with and relate to. I I think he's an unspoken hero of the faith. Most people, even Bible readers, don't know much about Barnabas. Yet without him, as you see today, what we know as the church would not exist, humanly speaking. God used this background character in incredibly powerful ways. Without Barnabas, there's no Paul. Without Barnabas, there's no extending of the church from Judea to Samaria to the other ends of the earth. Without Barnabas, we wouldn't have this incredible reminder that it's a privilege and an honor to be an encourager when you walk with God. It's a privilege and an honor to be an encourager when you walk with God. Barnabas the encourager. Here's a fun fact. Barnabas is not even his real name Anybody have a nickname that they go by? Anybody? Who has the nickname? Like, you, you have a nickname, and most people call you by that nickname. Has anyone ever been given a nickname they didn't appreciate, right? Like, all of a sudden, they were called the, the old Princeton basketball coach. March Madness is going on right now. How's your brackets? Yeah, not good, right? Yeah, that's how it's happening this year. And the old Princeton basketball coach was famous for giving his basketball players names, but they weren't flattering. He called one guy piano back because he ran like he had a piano on his back. You know that was his nickname. Piano back, pass the ball. You know, and then forever and ever, it was like that was it. And so, whatever the worst part of their game was, he gave them a nickname so that hopefully they would correct it. That happens, right? We get we get these nicknames. I have a dog who has a nickname, uh, several nicknames, because my dog, whose name is Liberty Bell, Liberty Bell Park. I know it's. It, <laughs> she she has split personalities, and uh, she she comes. She saw the opening for the queen a couple months ago when the queen passed away, and she took it. And so one of, one of her personalities is the queen of England. We call her Elizabeth when she's being all snooty and walking around like we all are supposed to bow down to her. She's also Betsy the bossy cow when she's telling us what to do. She's Nervous Nellie or Panic Patty when it's thundering and lightning outside. She's Snuggly Sarah when all of a sudden she's so demanding that you have to snuggle with her. Like, that's our dog, right? She's got so many nicknames based on her personality. I've known parents that refuse to name their kids until they got to know them. <laughs> what? <laughs> like it's going to hit you someday? <laughs> That's a Joe. It's a Joe, right? Just name the kid, right? My, my first nickname was because my parents, we came early as twins, and my parents didn't have names for us yet. Our names are Josh and Jared. I have a twin brother who's Ten minutes older than I am. And so he, we're the Park twins, right? And so in the hospital, he was the first one. So he was Park A. And this is in the 70s, don't forget. And they, instead of calling me Park B, they were like, Park A and Butter. Park A and Butter. Park A and Butter. And so my name was Butter. And I was the chubby one of the two. Like, I don't think that's nice to call me Butter for the first weeks of my existence. And so I was, my name was Butter, before anything else and Sunday they're like that's a Josh I'm like thank you Yeah, change my name Barnabas had the name that was given to him by the apostles because it was a nickname because they looked at his character and they got to know him and they said you know what you are such an encouragement that we're gonna call you Barnabas the son of encourager here comes encouragement here comes sunshine, right? Here comes joy. And wouldn't it be great to have the nickname sunshine, right? And here you come in and this, you, you're, you, you're sunshine in my day. And that people just start calling you sunshine because that's how you're known. That's exactly what happened to Barnabas. He was such an encourager, they just started calling him an encourager. Now, if you had a nickname based on your dominant character trait, how other people perceived you, what would it be? uh Uh-oh. Right, yeah. Here comes Patty the Party Pooper. <laughs> Willie the Wet Blanket. There's the ray of sunshine that's lost in the clouds. Like grimace, yeah. Remember grimace. And and it could be dangerous to actually ask your spouse or your kids or your coworkers what nickname they would use for you. And if it was first thing in the morning and I, it was, you were in my house, you wouldn't hear my nickname, Morning Grumpy Pants. Yeah, yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, it's whining Wednesday over there, yeah, always telling me that what's wrong, complaining Carl. And, and we might, if we're not careful, default into some of these really horrible descriptions how amazing is it, how amazing is it that one of our founding fathers was so encouraging that that's just that they changed his name? They just changed his name. See, his original name was jo- Joseph, or a version of that in the Hebrew. And who, he was Joseph, who was also called by apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Which means son of encouragement. Now today, from his life, we're going to see marks of an encourager, and, and let me tell you what the application for today's sermon is not. Write more encouragement notes, right? That's not it. I mean, encouragement notes are fantastic, but I hear, I hear Barnabas and encouragement notes all the time. And I'm like, no, 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 it's so much deeper than having a guilt trip that you should write more thank you notes in your life. There's, there's a way that you can live such a lifestyle that it becomes your dominant feature in life. And the joy of the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit, should so overflow in our lives that we can't help but be noticed for that light, for that joy, for that love, for that hope, for that peace, for that building up, for that encouragement that we bring to the equation every time we enter as light and salt in this world. And so Barnabas gives us a masterclass on what it takes to be an encourager. And I don't know if he ever wrote an encouragement note. He didn't write a book of the Bible. He didn't do any of that stuff. He just lived in a way that glorified God and loved his neighbors. And he teaches us these three marks of encouragement. First, we're going to jump back to Acts chapter 19, verses 30. And then we're going to see some more attributes in 12 through 13. And as I was answering this question, what makes him an encourager? What can make me an encourager? I came up with a list of about a dozen things in these verses that were attributes of an encourager, someone who encourages. And so I've boiled them down into like three big buckets. But man, if you study him out and read these verses, you will be challenged in your reactions to life so that you're not bringing in a storm cloud wherever you go, but you're bringing in sunshine. Not that you're tearing people and organizations down, but you can be someone that starts lifting them up. And the church should be built on the backs of encouragers who are lifting and building, not tearing and complaining. So here's three things that make somebody an encourager. First, encouragers are ridiculously generous. Encouragers are ridiculously, excuse me, radically generous. They're so giving that it's, it's radical. Radical generosity is one of our five values here at Branch Life. We want to be a church that's radically generous to one another and to our community. We don't want to just be generous. We want to be radically generous. One thing we say around here quite a bit is we want to err on the side of generosity. So if I'm like, do I give or do I not give, we are going to err on the side of giving. And we're going to give not just financially, we're going to give emotionally, we're going to give time, we're going to give energy, we're going to give effort, we're going to give of our facilities, we're going to give of our, our families, of our people. We want to see people from Branch be given away to start new works, to build new churches, to encourage uh, uh, other places, to go around the world, like we just, wherever God needs us to go, we're going to give, and we're going to go, and we're going to do what it is that needs to be done, even if it means like I got to give someone the shirt off my back. Why, why is that so crazy? Because that's a radical thing to do, right? And I, I can write you a note to say, I hope you find a new shirt, or I can give you the shirt off my back. And when you radically give, have you ever experienced overwhelming generosity in your life? Have you ever seen someone just come up to you and say, Hey, I want to just bless you. I want to meet this need. I want this to happen. All of us could probably tell that story. And let me guarantee what happened in that moment. You were encouraged. You were encouraged. You were lifted up and you were built up. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. And here's, here's why. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 37, it says, we learned first about Barnabas. It says, Barnabas, already they named him the son of encouragement back in Acts chapter 4. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Based on this verse, and if you do a little bit of research on what's a Levite, and and where is Cyprus, and what kind of people live there, and what do they mean by owning land in New Testament times, that was a huge, 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 huge deal. We're talking about, based on this verse, Not just any Joe Schmo in the community. We're talking about a community leader that had some fortune, that had some standing in the world. He had note. He had a name that was known. He was financially successful in the world's eyes. He was ahead of most of the game. He was the one percent that most people get mad at. And he he, what did he do with his fame and his fortune and his position and his good standing? Gave it away. He gave it away. He took and traded fortune and good standing, what the world calls, what everybody is working towards, and he traded that to become a nicknamed follower of Christ who then, from the background, supplied for and cared for and met the needs of others. He gave up control. I have this money from this fortune, I'm laying it down at the apostles' feet. He didn't say, I'm, I'm giving you this money and I want to designate it for this certain thing and if you don't use it for this certain thing, then I'm not gonna, I want it back. No, 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 he said, God, here, go. And, and just released it. That was radical, it was so radical that other people in the New Testament times, based on Barnabas's lead, started doing the same thing. Enter Ananias and Sapphira, who we talked about at the beginning of our Acts study, who said, well, if Barnabas can do it, so can we. But they didn't do it for the same reason, Barnabas. So Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their property. They came into the apostles and were like, that Barnabas guy, he showed us that this is a good thing and we're giving you all our money. And they, it wasn't. They were lying. And they were trying to promote their name. They weren't, ra- giving radic- they weren't being radically generous. They were being self-promoting. And instead of giving it to God, it was a large sum of money. God doesn't care about the money as much as he cares about the radical generosity. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need you to go around throwing money at him to say, hey, buy me some favor or buy me a good name. He doesn't want you to do that. And so immediately, as soon as that started creeping into the church and Ananias and Sapphira said, we're going to make a name for ourselves by giving money publicly, God killed them. And they died. And everybody who walked into the church from that moment on, metaphorically, had to walk over the dead bodies of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that God sees the heart. That God doesn't want us to be radically self-promoting. He wants us to be radically generous. Yet Barnabas, on the other hand, who did the exact same thing, with the right motives, God blessed and used in incredibly powerful ways. I don't ever want you to underestimate the power of generosity. Don't ever undervalue the kingdom-building power of generosity. One of the greatest things that you can do to fight for the kingdom of God is to give of yourself over and over and over and over again. A little boy decides to give a few loaves of fishes and a few pieces of bread to Jesus, and Jesus feeds 15,000 people. The name of Jesus is glorified when you give radically. Ashley Brown, as many of you know, is getting ready to go on a mission trip this summer, and she's got to raise somewhere between four and 6,000 dollars. So that she can go on this trip. And so she, we prayed over her a couple weeks ago. She was up here on the platform. I don't know if she's here today. If you're here this morning, Ashley, just give me a hoop and holler. She might be in the... There you are. Yeah. Front and center. It's just how much of a fog I'm in. I want to come up and talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not make it. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley um, has been raising money and we're super excited for her and, and praying that God would provide for her. She posted on, on the page where you can follow her journey, her Facebook page. This week that a little boy came up to her in her class, second grade, third, grade. third grader, came up to her in her class and, and gave her a quarter and said, Miss Ashley, I want you to have this quarter. And Ashley thought right away, she's like, oh, that's so nice, gave me a quarter. And, then, and she said, thank you. And he says, no, this is for your trip. It's all the money I have. Wow. Right? Radical generosity. Now, is that quarter going to buy a plane ticket? No. But can God use that quarter to do incredible things for his glory and for his kingdom from the heart of a radically generous child? Yes. Yes. And we will never know the multiplication of glory that came as a result of that gift, that moment of radical generosity from that child. We're very excited. Ashley, you don't know this. Today, we're just going to say it. We're going to give, Branch Life is giving you $1,000 for your trip. So we're so super excited. We hope that that goes a long way, and we're inspired by this young man's gift of generosity, and we're going to make sure that you get everything that you need. So this is just a start, and hopefully, if you guys want to give to Ashley, you can find her online. Grab the paper downstairs. Hopefully, God will meet her needs above and beyond so that we can see what happens as we give radically. Now, here's what Radical generosity means for us It means that we need to be constantly asking this question prayerfully asking this question What more can I give? What more can I give? How can how can I be radically generous in my life? How can I be radically generous with my stuff? How can I be radically generous with my family? How can I be radically generous with my time? How can I be radically generous with my food? How can I be radically generous with my, with my words? How can I be radically generous with my uh, uh, grace? How can I be radically generous to my spouse, to my kids, to my church, to my neighborhood, to my community? And God, would you show me how you would like me to give? And then do it. And if you're weighing it, I don't know if I should, I don't know if I shouldn't, err on the side of generosity. You see, we believe as Christians, based on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that self-sacrifice is greater than self-promotion. Self-sacrifice is greater than self-promotion. There was a man, there was a son of God, who was given radically to this world. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave his one and only son. God gave his son, Jesus, who would come and now demonstrate to us a life of radical generosity where he didn't gain for himself power or fame or fortune. He had no home. He had, like a fox, he had no den. He had no place to lay his head. Yet he lived a life of radical generosity where he constantly gave of his life and his time and his moments, his days, his years, his words, his weeks, to the kingdom of God. Ultimately, he gave his life as a sacrifice for many. So that anyone who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And if Jesus dying on the cross doesn't demonstrate to us radical generosity, and doesn't inspire us to do at least the same, then nothing will. God loved you so much that he died for you. Your life, therefore, is not your own. But is something to offer as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. We get to be radically generous. You don't have to worry about the money. You don't have to worry about the house. You don't have to worry about the future. You don't have to worry about your purpose. It's already done. Now you can just give. Now you can go. And we, we live in a world of self-promotion. I, just, I have a bone to pick with whoever sold my, self, my selfie stick. You need to take a long, hard look at yourself. There it is again. Yeah. we actually said this morning I think Chris said it we, we want you guys to take selfies today and we want you to post on the internet but we want you to do that with an invite the Easter invite take a picture of the invite or of yourself with your smiling face and say hey I don't want to promote myself which most selfies are right Like selfies are called selfies for a reason it's all about yourself and you do your selfie thing and you put it out there and you have an Instagram full of your own stupid face like, what is that? Follow me, right? And come on now, that's self promotion. Now, I'm not against a good selfie every now and then. But if that's all you got, if that's all you're going for, you aren't going for much. Your friend following is going to let you down. You're going to fill your life with anxiety and discouragement and the, and the trap of comparison. If you, that's where your joy is, the number of likes on your phone, if that's, if that's where you're finding your, your meaning and your purpose, then it's, it's, it's a meaningless existence. And God says we don't need to promote ourselves. We need to sacrifice ourselves and then see what happens. And that's exactly what Jesus did. God loved For God so loved you. You, for God so loved me, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you put your faith and trust in this gospel? Have you ever told God that you're sorry for your sin, your self-promotion, but today you believe on him and you ask for his forgiveness and say, God, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want, I want to accept this free gift of salvation that you sacrificed yourself for so that I could be part of the family of God, so I could have this joy, I have this peace. If you want to talk about that after the service, we'll be available. But even now, you can do that business with God and pray a prayer of salvation, even in these moments. The second thing that marks an encourager, and encouragers are relentless peacemakers. Encouragers are relentless peacemakers. They go after peace like a dog on a bone. Did I have a morning today? I got here by right almost two minutes late, which annoys me to no end. A, my truck didn't start when I went out to go, to go here this morning, but I was even late to my truck because we had a morning that involved most of the people in my house standing on chairs screaming. What makes people stand on chairs screaming? Mice. My wife is in the kitchen. My son is in the living room where they can see each other, and between them, from the kitchen, I'm sitting on a chair, the dog's laying next to me on the floor, comes a big old fat mouse, and just just gently walks in front of the bathroom, looks at the stairs, hops up the step, hops up the next step. I'm like, it's like a little kangaroo, hops up the next step, goes into the closet, and my jaw's on the floor. Nobody else saw it but me. I'm like, what is that? I've never seen a mouse in our house before, right? Like, in this house, in this townhome. And we're like, you know, we have mice. Like, what's happening? And he doesn't care that we're here. And so I'm like, you guys will not believe what I just saw. And the dog's like, what? (laughs) Like, where were you five seconds ago? And Jenny's like, on the chair not a mouse, is it? And I'm like, yes, it was totally a mouse. Now she's really on the chair. She's got her legs tucked up. She's like, there's more. There's got to be more. <laughs> so we go in the closet. It's, it's, two, it's on our second floor closet. We go in the closet. Will's help me pull stuff out. I'm like, I know it's in here. I saw it come in here. And it, find it right in the corner. Like, pick it up. I miss it with my container. It runs between my legs. And it starts going down. Now the dog sees it, right? And the dog's like, Mouse! and we literally, all of us chased, except for my wife, she's like, no, we're down the, st- two flights of stairs, every- and the- I've never seen the dog so intense, she's like, I'm gonna find this thing, I'm gonna kill it, I'm gonna play with it, I'm gonna love it, I'm- I don't know what she's gonna do with it, but she wanted that mouse, and she's like, the mouse runs under the door, and the dog's like, into the door, right? and-, and she's just there, ears up, and she's like, I'm gonna get the mouse, right, right, and that's where she stood, for minutes, Totally relentless. Once you know you can get it, and it's there, you're never going to give up. She's probably there right now. No lie, we put our motion detector ring camera down there to see if it would move during the day. And uh, we have a trap ready for the mouse. We're going to kill it. (laughs) If you just said poor mouse. There's probably another church for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the one with the cowboy fans. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're running after if you're running after something relentless, now now most of us have something relentless for us that we're relentless about. Most of us have stuff that we will go after at all costs, right? Better work, better pay, better friendships, teenagers, the boyfriend or girlfriend, must have, right? And my daughter's relentlessly asking for a phone, you know, and we're just like holding off as long as possible, and we go over these things, relentless, relentless, relentless. What if, what, what if we were relentless peacemakers? That, that's who Barnabas was. Barnabas, this relentless peacemaker, because of Barnabas, and this is humanly speaking, because of Barnabas, we have literally half of the New Testament. And because of Barnabas, the church more than doubled in size. And let me explain how that happened. In Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 27, we see this verse that says that Barnabas brought together Saul and the apostles. Now, in all of the Founding father stories, and next week is our series finale of Founding Fathers and we're moving into a new series called The God, The Problem of God. After, after next week, uh, we're gonna see that how important Paul is in the story. And so we've seen Paul from the beginning. He was there when Stephen was martyred. He was murdering Christian. Stephen prays his last prayer, asking for the salvation of those that are murdering him. And God answers that prayer and he radically saves Saul, on the road to Damascus, shows himself to Saul. Saul converts to Paul. Later, he's eating with Philip, the evangelist, right? And he becomes a part of the leadership of the church. But imagine, imagine if you got on an airplane today, and you got up on the airplane, and over the loudspeaker, it said, uh, hello, uh, my name is Osama bin Laden, and I'm going to be your pilot today. You're getting off the airplane, like, right? You're not going to stay up there and be a part of, you don't want to have your enemy be now your partner and give them any opportunity or any control. So Saul was running around killing Christians, has a conversion on the road to Damascus. All the apostles were like, fake news. And, they, and they, he, they're, they're trying to say, like, this is a trap. And now Paul's like, I want to come back and I want to meet with the leadership of the church. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Why? Because you're going to kill us. Yeah, we weren't born yesterday, Saul. And Saul's like seriously converted and and the apostles are like seriously doubting it and they don't want anything to do with him. Enter relentless peacemaker Barnabas. And in Acts chapter 9, it's Barnabas who literally brings Paul to the apostles and brings them together to prove what God has done that through the power of the gospel, the worst sinner, the the greatest enemy, can become your fastest friend. You can, through the power of the gospel, now have a bridge where you never thought unity was possible. You can now have a bridge to unity. The gospel brings together enemies. The gospel brings together multi-generations, multi-race, multi multi economic, the poor and the rich, the red and the white, the politically diverse, the people who have differences of opinions and see it different ways. The gospel enables us to bridge that and become peacemakers where we can, instead of fighting each other all the time, have peace. The gospel brings peace to marriages when a husband and wife are against one another. The gospel brings peace to child-parent relationships. The gospel brings peace in our community where it's fractured. Of all people, we, the church, should be unified and be a demonstration of what it means to be unity, unity driven. That's Saul and the apostles. In Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, we then read the story of how the church in Jerusalem was starting to grow, and there were Gentiles now getting saved in a place called Antioch, north of Damascus, far away from Jerusalem. And these Hellenistic or Gentile believers were starting to form what would become one of the most important churches in all of history. And the church of Jerusalem is wondering what to do with this new non-Jewish church in Antioch. And they say, they say in Acts chapter 9, 19 through 26, you know what they say? Let's send them Barnabas. And they sent Barnabas to this new church. And this, there's an awesome verse in here that says that, and Barnabas came and he was glad. He was glad He was seeing things happen that they never thought would happen with their enemies, with the Gentiles, with the people that used to be against them, and now Barnabas is bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together as one church, and the church multiplied and grew like ever before, and the church of Antioch became the second known church in, in, in the world and became one of the fastest growing places for the gospel, and Barnabas was right in the middle of it that's why we know the church doubled in size. Saul goes on to write more than half of the New Testament because Barnabas brings him along. And then in Acts chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, we can go there in Acts chapter 13. We hear the beginning of the rest of Barnabas's stories. Now where they now there where they were in the wow. In the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simone, who is called Niger, Lucas of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, what, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, we've talked about prayer and fasting and how important that is. Here's an example of that. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. When God was getting ready to do a new work, of all the people the Holy Spirit could choose from in the entire church, tens of thousands of thousands of people who got saved, God, the Holy Spirit, chooses a former murderer who has recently been converted to Christianity and the son of encouragement. He puts those two together. The church lays hands on them and sends them off. They sent their sunshine away. They sent their greatest asset away. They sent their greatest encourager away. They sent their best and brightest away. Why in the world would Barnabas ever agree to that? Because Barnabas cared about bringing Jesus and the lost together. The ultimate way to make peace. In Acts chapter 11, verse 24, it says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This is the legacy of an encourager. So as a body at Branch Life Church, we have to remind ourselves, don't just leave it to the preacher to bring people to Christ. Let me give you kind of two famous idioms that you hear in the church a lot. If the first time your friend hears the gospel is from the pulpit, you've probably missed it. You've probably missed it. By the time I present the gospel to your friends and your neighbors, I should just be repeating what they've already heard. They should have been able to hear it because they've come to your house, they've been a part of your small group, they've eaten at your dinner table, you've taken long walks together, you've written them notes, you've done something where you've shared your life and love for the gospel with them. And so when the preacher says it, they're like, yes, that's exactly what my friend's been talking about. We shouldn't just leave it to the preacher to do all the preaching. We all are called to be preachers. You don't have to be a minister to minister. We're not hired professionals to do the work of the ministry. No, you are the workmanship of God, designed for good work so that the people of this world can know and follow Jesus. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So get out and bring the ultimate peace. People need Jesus, and you have him to give. So the question is that we have to ask ourselves, who needs peace? Who needs peace? How can I be the bringer of peace? In my home, brother, sister, you guys need peace. (laughs) Marriage, husband, wife, you might need peace. My neighborhood, my country, my world. And the ultimate thing we all need is to bring Jesus to those that don't know him. And the last mark of encouragement, and just to mention this really quick, and it's what we just read... An encourager is ridiculously helpful. An encourager is ridiculously helpful. You know that person that when they show up, you're like, oh, thank God they're here. That one, that's Barnabas. That's the person who walks into your house and says, I know it's been a long day. I'm gonna finish the dishes for you. And they don't even act, they just do it. They, they just come in and they get that, that big project that you're carrying all by yourself and they, they take care of the whole thing. They, you know that they're going to save the day. You know that they're going to take care of the details. You know that they're going to now be the, you might as well nickname them Calvary because they've arrived. The Calvary has arrived? Never mind. And when the Calvary arrives, these, these ridiculously helpful people show up and you say, that, that is someone I want to be present in my life. And are you someone who's marked by being ridiculously helpful? Not ridiculously good at pointing out everything that needs to be critiqued but ridiculously good at just getting in there and getting the job done. I heard on a podcast today from a a, a famous preacher this this week, he talked about the value of one more rep. Ridiculously helpful people practice one more rep all the time. If you're a weightlifter, if you're a runner, you know you have a certain amount of reps that you have to do. And if somebody says 10 reps, you know what the person who believes in one more rep does? You ready for it? 11. 11. Now, the person who always does one more rep, here's what's true of them. The extra step or the extra rep means that you're going to go the furthest. If everyone goes 10 steps and you go 11, guess how far you've gone? Further than everybody else. And when you go the extra mile, when you go take the extra step, you will go the furthest and you will give ridiculous glory to God. Think about the company that does what it's supposed to do on your behalf. If you go to McDonald's, which is I always think is a really great thing to do, if you go to McDonald's and you order a cheeseburger, better yet a double cheeseburger and those fries, and you order that double cheeseburger and fries, and you say, I would like a double cheeseburger and fries, and you pull up to the window, and they give you a double cheeseburger and a fries, and it's piping hot, and they're super good, and the salt is just right, and you have them in your car, and you're like, they did a good job, that was great, you're going to be a fan of McDonald's, you're going to go back, That's going to be a good product, but if that company would go the extra mile, and when you ordered one double cheeseburger, and they, for no reason at all other than they like you, give you two double cheeseburgers, well, that's something you take a selfie about, right? <laughs> they gave me two. I can't believe it. Like, why? Why would they give me two? And you don't, become a, you don't just become someone who takes their product. You become someone who is their now promoter. And you start telling everyone that that company did something amazing for you, you ordered a small fry, and for no reason whatsoever, they gave you a large fry. They went the extra mile, and they came out and cleaned my car in the process. Like, what's well, that's unbelievable, I can't believe it. They're amazing when you, as a follower of Jesus, go the extra step, and for no reason other than you love that person, you give the extra thing, you go the extra mile, you say the extra kind word, that gives ridiculous glory to God. And people don't just go, oh, those Christians are nice. They go, have you heard about that Christian over there? Have you heard about that Jesus follower? Their God must be amazing. I want what they have. And when you are ridiculously helpful to other people in your life, it gives ridiculous glory to God. That was Barnabas. And everybody said, we've got to send Barnabas because what Barnabas does for people points to God in a special way. He does always one more rep. So as we read in verse in Acts chapter 13 through 22, they, through worshiping the Lord and fasting, decided that they were going to send Barnabas so that he could serve. And the question we need to ask ourselves is simply this, how can I serve? How can I serve? What is the extra thing that I can do? And how can it, in my service, be joy-filled and, and give sunshine to, to the parts of my, my ability to serve the church, to serve my family, to serve my, my community? And when I serve... What can I do? How can I serve? How can I take the extra effort special so that I can give a little bit more glory to God? We just put this on your uh, chairs today simply to, to say there's lots of opportunities to serve. This is not a promotion for our teams. However, if you ask any team leader at Branch Life Church, what do you need? They're going to say this. We need more help. Why? Because the nursery's exploding. <laughs> We need more help because the parking lot's full and we want to keep the kids safe. We need more help because we have so many worship opportunities. We need, we need more help in our area of community. Catch. We need more help in caring for our facility. We need more help in, 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 in small groups and small group leaders and small group hosts. We need more help in our second service. We need people to do be a part of our prayer teams and a part of our worship and a part of our building of the second service. We need more help in all of those areas. And so we are praying and fasting and we're asking God, God, who can we send? And we're asking God to set apart for us encouragers, to set apart for us leaders, People who can be a part of building the church now. And if God would send you to a third service, if God would send you to a nursery, if God would send you to a community, how can you be a part of answering the call for help? That's what builds the church. And if a church is full of ridiculously helpful people, the sky is the limit. 15 churches in 15 years, no problem. That's gonna be done. It's gonna be over because everyone's being ridiculously helpful and God is being glorified all along the way. And so don't leave here saying, oh, I have to join some team and start serving. No. Say, I get to help somehow, some way. And what is it God is calling you to do in this season? During our prayer and fasting of 21 days, I want you to prayerfully consider, not even in this moment, unless the Holy Spirit is clearly saying you need to check a box or write on your card. I want you to prayerfully consider this week with prayer and fasting, how can you give Who needs peace and how can I serve? Pray these questions and see what God does in directing you to do something great, something generous, something that brings peace and people to Christ. And we want to continue to pray. Down on the, the 21 days of prayer wall at our prayer breakfast, we stuck sticky notes with initials and names of people that we were praying for, for for our ones, for people that need encouragement, for people that are struggling. If you want to do that, there's a a sticky pad down there and some Sharpies. You can write initials. You can write first names and tuck them in the letters. And we want to just keep praying for people through this season. We want to be praying for God to build the church. We're super excited about some stuff that's happening here at Branch Life Church. We're praying. We put an offer on the 20 acres behind us. We're waiting to hear back. We have some strategic planning happening in, in two weeks here on the campus about how we can possibly expand, not for, the glory, or for our glory, but for the glory of God. All of this can be wrapped up in the 28 days of prayer. Let's fall on our, our knees and pray, as they said in After Acts, and maybe after fasting and praying, we'll be able to send you. Maybe we'll be able to send you to do something great for the kingdom of God. It might be next door. It might be around the world. It might be on a summer missions trip. It might be behind a musical instrument or to a nursery. But where can we send you for the glory of God? Will you pray with me? God, Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be a church filled with Barnabases, peacemakers, radically generous givers and relentlessly helpful people. And God, we can't do that in our own power and our own strength. That's got to be God-given. So help us to lean on you, to deepen our faith in you, Lord, so that together we can reach our world. We pray over the future of Branch Life Church, and we, God, ask that you would build like only you can build for your glory and for the impact on the lost. God, that we pray for our ones. We pray, God, that we would share the gospel, we would share our lives, we would share our homes, that we would invite people to, to Easter, to small groups, Lord, to service projects. God, we pray that you would go before us and do some incredible things, and would you allow our trust and our walk with you to reflect the, the great hope and the great peace that comes from sacrificing ourselves so that, God, you can be lifted high. We pray over these three questions in our lives, and we ask genuinely, Lord, how, help us to see how I can give how can I give? What more can I give? Lord, how can I, uh, who needs peace? And how can I help? And God, would you speak answers to all of us in our lives so that we would do exactly what you would have us to do with each and every moment, with each and every talent, with each, each and every dollar, and with each and every day. In Christ's holy name we pray, amen. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this special teaching in our Founding Fathers series. We hope that it's encouraged you in some way. We have been praying for you and are so glad that you've logged on. Before you go, go to branchlife.church and fill out that connection card. We would love to hear from you. We would love to pray for you. And we hope that you'll join us next time as we go further and deeper in our faith.